Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. Feel free to take your seats if you haven't already. Um, big welcome to anybody who's here for the first time, um, everybody in the building, and big welcome to everybody watching online. Um, this is another one of our monthly worldview nights where we get to um, navigate through some of life's biggest questions and um, expose us all to some of the Christian um, intellectual side of, of our Christian faith. And so it's a privilege to be here again. It's good fun. And I've got Pastor Patsy with me again tonight. So welcome, Pastor Patsy. Great to have you here. Um, Thank you. And so this, uh, I'm very excited to be here. We have a very interesting topic tonight and I'm, I'm very excited to get into it. So um, there's a fair bit to get through. So we might just dive right in, I think. Um, so Tonight the topic is God and judgment. So um, probably the lightest topic of all that you can talk on. Um, it's uh, it, it, For those of us who read the Bible, assuming almost everybody here, um, it's almost like every second page, especially when you're going through, say, the book of Leviticus or Jeremiah or one of those Old Testament passages or, or books, you see judgment come up a fair bit. The word judgment comes up a lot. Um, and it's also in the New Testament too, the word judgment appears. Um, and often it's, I think it's misunderstood, the topic of judgment, and also undervalued. I think that judgment biblically and holistically is a very important topic. And so that's one of the reasons why we're going to talk on it tonight. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be fun. So yeah, I, um, I wanted just to start with just the word judgment to begin with, because I'm, I'm aware that when someone says the word judgment, for me, I think it's common for some people to, to hear the negative connotation that's added to it. Sometimes you hear the word judgmental pop up, for example, um, and we think of that as in a bad, a bad way. You know, we think to be judgmental is bad. Um, judgments are always something negative. Um, but we're going to look at Scripture and, the, and what the Bible has to say about judgment uh, and see what light that that brings to it. Um, I think judgment is something that's very, very central um, to Scripture and to the life of a believer and also very um, central to God. This is the theme that comes up a lot. And so yeah, it'd be great to, I think, have a really good, robust understanding on what judgment is and how God is seen through judgment. What's God's character like in judgment? Um, Questions that come up are often, why does God need to judge in the first place? Uh, why can't God just simply forgive um, people? Why does he need to judge them anyway? What are some of the purposes involved in judgment? Um, uh, there's, there's a variety of questions that come up. Um, isn't God also loving and merciful? If he's loving and merciful, why does he also need to just judge or be angry at people or angry at sin and things like that? Um, so how does mercy and justice fit together in God as well? And we could yeah, talk they for... They sound almost like opposites, don't they? They, they? they do. And I think so much has been written on this topic and, and shared on this topic because there's a couple of ways that people have seen these two work together. So, um, yeah, we're going to get into it. So um, some other questions that come up are, you know, some of the biblical cases where God judges people or nations seems a bit brash and it can come across quite intense and severe and almost unproportionate like gee the crime wasn't that bad why did the punishment need to be so severe um, and you can see some there's many examples um, where God judges and you think immediately oh gee that seemed a bit intense like you know I probably would have waited a little bit longer or I might have acted in a different way and um, I've felt that reading some of the passages and being like shocked and thought man that seems so intense um, but there are reasons why God acts the way he does and we're going to get into that and look at that so um, what about those who've never heard the gospel um, is it right or fair to judge these people who maybe have never heard of Jesus um, how does God judge these people based on 
Christ if they've never heard of Christ. That's something that comes up when you look at judgment. Um, what about hell? Um, what do you do with eternal judgment? Um, how does that make God look? Um, what about the punishment to the crime? So, there's all these questions that come up when you look at judgment, and it's sometimes it's it's not just a simple, clean-cut answer, um, but there are answers. So we're going to get into them. So, yeah. So I think a basic overview for tonight. We've got three main points we want to tackle. So the first one we want to look at is um, to show that God's judgments are always just. To show that His judgments are always holy and ultimately good. It does not matter how it appears in the moment to, say, one of us or to somebody, that God's judgments are ultimately good, regardless of the subjective aspect or view of them. Um, secondly, we're going to address those difficult aspects, particularly some judgments, and we're going to look at how God's character um, is not affected by that and how we can still remain confident in a good, loving God while he still judges and sometimes judges um, definitively. And thirdly, we're going to emphasize the importance of um, having a correct biblical view of judgment and what that means for us today and like how we can practically live that out. Um, you know, yeah. I was thinking uh, when you began tonight, Mitch, that um, uh, one of the names of God is judge. That's right, yeah. And Abraham addressed, addressed him as the judge of all the earth. Mm. So uh, that is, uh, through his names, he reveals himself. And so mm. I, I remember one time when I was talking to the Lord about judgments, mm. I said, it seems as though judge uh, could be like the dark side of God. <laughs> it comes across a bit like that sometimes. It does. And uh, I mean, you know, of course, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Mm. Of course, I know that. But uh, it, I was just, you know, being yeah. honest and asking him some things. I said, it just seems like the dark side of God. And this is what he said. He said, if it seems that judgment is dark in any way, mm. you lack light on the subject. I wow. Thought, Okay, well, let's turn the light on. Wow. And the entrance of his word gives light. So it also helped me to see that if there's a perception of darkness about God being judge or judgments that they're dark, we just don't have the right light on it. And I, I reckon the enemy has even really spun this one because this subject right here that you've chosen, Midge, uh, there's some people that stand far off from God because they don't have light on judgment and yeah. on the judge. <laughs> yeah, if you can make God to look like this bad judge, yeah. Yeah. he's just vicious yeah. and violent and just waiting for you to make a mistake and bam, you know, if that's how you see God, yeah. you can understand why someone might want, not want to have a conversation with this guy. Yeah. You, know, you, you can see why someone might not want to believe or, yeah. or follow God. Well, I'm glad you've chosen this yeah. subject. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. uh, as this unfolds that you bring. I think what you pointed on was interesting because um, you mentioned about light being shined on, a, on an area. If you mm. think it's dark, it might be because there's no light on that and God's Word will expose that. I think that judgment in and of itself mm. um, is not necessarily right or wrong. And we know this because we can make distinctions between good and bad judgments. Mm. right and wrong judgments. Mm -hmm. So straight off the bat, judgment isn't bad. Um, judgment is basically our um, view of something in light of the facts. And it can either be correct or incorrect. It can be morally good or it can be morally bad. Um, so what makes a good judgment? That would be when we associate the word just or justice mm -hmm. into that word judgment. So a good judgment is something that's fair or right yeah. or just. So that raises another question, which yeah. is, what is justice? Yeah. This is a question that can be addressed um, um, socially. It's a question that gets raised politically, um, rights, what is right, what is wrong, what, what is just. Um, but we'll be looking at the theological and the biblical um, view on justice for this evening's purposes. Um, they do overlap 
at times as well, obviously. I think yeah. that the political and the social will be yeah. grounded, um, from a Christian worldview, will be grounded in the theological understanding of what justice is, mm-hmm. coming back to God and who he is. Um, but what's interesting is that the word justice comes up. And yes. um, there is so much that the Bible has to say about God's justice. Um, and I've got a, a bunch of scripture verses here. We won't go through them all, but there are hundreds of scripture verses, Old and New Testament, of how just God is, that he is fair, that God is righteous, yeah. that he is impartial, that he does not have these favorites where he judges one way and different people another way. Yes. Um, and I, I might read a few of them because I think they really give us a firm mm, yes. understanding on the nature of God as mm. being just. We can start with, you mentioned Abraham where he said, mm, mm. Um, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Mm. Um, you know, attempting to deter God from destroying the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and um, on Sodom and, and its inhabitants. Um, and he says, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Mm. You know, will you destroy the, the righteous with the wicked? Knowing that punishments follow the crimes or the criminals and the wicked people, not mm-hmm. for the righteous. That's yeah. not just. That's not and just. so he says, will not the God of all this, the judge of all the world, the earth, do what is right? Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting story about justice. We could talk on that, how Abraham has a conversation with God about how many righteous people there in the, in the town, in the city, 50, 20, 10, you know. Um, and, I mean, God ends up judging Sodom. He, the Bible says that, fire, um, eternal fire came down and destroyed, completely like destroyed Sodom. Um, and that was an act of God's judgment, his righteous judgment against evil that was taking place in the yeah. city. Um, and yes. you know, yeah. yeah. So you can see that God is just um, in, in, what that he do, in what he does. There are passages that seem pretty intense, we'll get into that. But Psalm 89 is another good verse that talks about God being just, saying, uh, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Oh, I love that verse. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Mm. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. Wow. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Wow. I mean, these are, these are such bold proclamations. Revelation 19.11, we see at the end of the New Testament, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Yes. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So God's actions, his judgments, are always built upon justice. Yes. Upon what is right, upon what is fair and good. Yes. uh, Because God is good. You know, uh, I love these verses because it, it contrasts and it actually um, it actually puts that word judgment or judge in the right light mm. because we've all known of stories of unjust judges, judges whose, um, whose determinations have been compromised and, and they're, uh, they don't they don't judge righteously, and so justice not justice is not served. That's These right. verses that you just read, Mitchell, mm. oh man, he judges righteously. Yeah, everything that he does is just. Mm. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah, so you start with those with those facts, the principles that God is just. Yeah. So when His judgments are upon a nation or a person, yeah, it's clear in it's, Scripture that it's, it's for right. a reason. Mm. Um, whether that reason is known to you at the time, mm. whether that reason is explicitly laid out, is a separate thing. Yeah. But the fact that you see that time and time again, mm. God is referred to as good, just, righteous, um, the judge of all the earth, knowing what is right and wrong. Um, it's, it, should, it should give us confidence that when yeah. God does judge, you know it's for the right reason and for right. a good thing. Um, right. That's a good place to start. So there are actually... Um, ways or lenses to view justice. We have the first, which is known to a lot of people, especially in courts of law, as retributive justice. Mm. You might have heard the word retribution. Mm. Retributive justice is essentially the idea that there is a punishment that is proportionate to the crime. 
So if there is a, someone who steals something, for example, there is a punishment that matches that crime. And the punishment will not supersede or go above and beyond what's fair or what's even or what's um, due for that crime. So retribution is built upon the idea that it's not necessary um, whether any good follows from the action or the judgment or not. That's a separate thing for retribution. Retribution is the crime deserves a punishment and once that punishment has been dealt, then that's, that's the end that all, need, all that needs to be said on that. So um, you do the crime, you do the time. <laughs> Some people are like that at rhymes, so easy to remember. So that's retribution. Um, some people refer to the Old Testament uh, phrase of an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Mm. You hear that, a life for a life. Someone knocks your tooth out. Well, one way of looking at it was knock the other tooth back out. Um, obviously, Jesus has some interesting things to say about that, so we might get into that too. But um, that's one way of looking at justice, retribution. Um, and an example of that is what we looked at, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, you can see where there's a sin that takes place. God judges and whether there's any deterrence that follows or whether there was any good that followed was beside the point. The point was that there was a sin and there was a judgment, a righteous judgment that took place. So um, there's retribution. The second one is actually deterrence. Mm -hmm. So deterrence is... The punishment for the one who commits a crime, um, its main emphasis is served by you being used as an example to deter others from repeating the same um, mm. sin or the same error, crime. So you can also see that in scripture too. Uh, and there's actually, if you really think about it, there's so many um, examples in scripture where you can go to where you can see deterrence, uh, you can see where God judges. And one of the main, if not the main reason why he did that was so that there's a standard that's been made clear. If you do this certain thing, this is what's going to happen. There's consequences that follow um, breaking God's law, for example, or doing um, something that's evil or, or um, sinning. Um, one example that comes to mind is um, Uzzah or Azza, whatever his name is, the uh, the gentleman that, that touched the Ark of the Covenant. We all remember that story. Um, that one can be a challenging one because it seems like he's doing a, a, a fair thing. The ox starts to sort of move and then this, this Ark of the Covenant, which obviously carried and represented the presence of God on earth. Um, on that I'm sure to Uzzah, it looked like it was maybe going to fall or something. So he's gone and touched this after God has made explicitly clear uh, you know, you, not just everybody can go up to this ark and touch it. Um, there's a there's a, a ceremonial practice and there's a way in which someone can approach God. Um, this is sacred. God's presence on earth is sacred. And so you don't just treat it as though it's just ordinary. Um, and so God strikes him dead instantly. Um, and so you can see that not many people after that were going to touch the ark. Like I'm sure that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're staying so far away from that, from that thing. Um, so you can see deterrence is another way of, of um, justice being met, um, used as an example to deter others. Um, Ananias and Sapphira is sometimes brought up as another one where they lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead instantly. Um, there's some talk about what judgment that was and whether it was directly from God or indirectly. Uh, but the point for that one is... I'm sure nobody lied to the Holy Spirit after that, you know. Um, that must have been a severe, that must have been a quite an intense revelation yeah. from God, I think, um, in order for the judgment like that to take place. Um, um, because, uh, you know, the punishment seemed quite severe. And so I think, wow, it must have been quite a revelation um, and quite a sin. So, um, yeah, God is sacred. When he speaks, it's, um, it's very important that we listen the third one is restorative justice. This is um, mm. basically aimed at healing, not hurting. Restorative is about dealing with the problem by not using pain or not using violence or not using some kind of corrective measure um, in any physical or judgmental sense, as you might put it. Uh, but it's by building moral maturity and spiritual growth. 
Um, we can see examples of this also in Scripture. One that comes to mind is church excommunication with that um, gentleman in 1 Corinthians who was up to no good. He um, was told to be excommunicated from the church. So, and the language is so for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved. And so you can see there's a judgment now that's taken place against this man. Um, and the hopes of this judgment is so that this man returns and is reconciled back into the church. He then tells the church if this person repents, he can come back, come back in, right? And so this is a, a kind of restoration. It's a judgment that ultimately isn't about just destroying this person, but it's about restoring this person mm. back into a relationship. Um, and one of the reasons why God does this is because God loves people. Yes. And God's judgments ultimately are not there just to um, serve justice and meet crime with punishment, but it's, it's used with people that God loves. It's used with image bearers of God. And so um, God's natural inclination towards people is love and mercy and so it is a wild thing to try to look at how, how does God both love an individual and want to extend mercy to an individual but yet also uphold justice completely wow. it's one of those amazing mysteries and um, I'll, I'll share a bit more on that later because uh, there's, there's something that's really profound in that. Um, sometimes we see elements of all three of these senses or lenses of justice where retribution, deterrence, and um, restorative justice meet. Um, but God always has in mind with judgment. He's always looking for um, love and restoration, ultimately. Mm. Um, God's not delighted in the death of the wicked. No. Uh, the Bible says he wants all to come to a knowledge of the truth and so God's desire is for all people um, to come to know him and so when God judges his judgments are consistent with his character they're consistent with his nature his nature is love his nature is good but he's also just and so you have to have a view of God that's both holy just and loving and merciful um, so there's a few things about those three different lenses of justice um, which lead us into different principles. So we can see that God's judgments actually are built upon principles in Scripture. And the first principle that we can see clearly built into the book of Romans is that God's judgments are based upon truth. Romans 2 verse 2 says that we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So it's not the case it's never the case that God is mistaken when he judges or he was somehow misinformed. He didn't quite get something right. Um, no. He didn't have the facts completely. Mm. Um, he made a judgment, but there was some mistake. God's judgments are built upon what is true yes. and, and factual and right. So no one can raise an objection to God and say, you don't understand. Um, there's something you've missed. You've, you've got a bias or something. <laughs> you know, it's like... God's saying, it's built upon what's actually real. My judgments are built upon um, what's true. So that should give the Christian great comfort knowing that when God does judge, he judges because he knows truth and he builds it upon truth. Um, so that's super, super powerful. <clears throat> super powerful. Um, great. Um, the second principle that we can see is that God's judgments are in response to our moral choices. Romans 2 verse 6 says that he will render to each one according to his deeds. God's judgments are in response to our actions. So we can take responsibility for ourselves, for our choices. God is not going to judge one person for another person's sin. Um, the moral guilt or shame that is often associated with sin, God's not going to hold somebody morally culpable for a sin they haven't committed. Um, sometimes you do see that God extends a judgment beyond the person who sins onto the generation that follows. Sometimes you see onto the children and the children that follow. But it's important to understand that those 
further generations, they suffer the consequences of the sin of the forefathers. They don't suffer the guilt or the moral culpability for the sin of the forefathers. It's a pretty important distinction. Um, and Jesus addresses that when someone comes to him and says, well, who, who sinned in order for this man to be um, unwell or whatever? Um, Jesus addresses that and says, um, essentially, the soul that sins shall die. The person who is responsible for sin is the one who will be judged. That seems common sense. I know that most of us probably understand that, but it's amazing how in theology sometimes that gets so easily missed. Um, God is fair. He'll hold us morally accountable. Um, the next part that we can see is that um, in light with that as well, we can see that this also is addressed to believers. In 1 Peter 1 verse 17, talking to the church, Peter says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your sojourning here in fear. So here's Peter talking to the church again, saying, God who is judging without partiality, according to your work, each one's work, conduct yourselves while you're doing this. So it's, it's a warning for Christians that although we're not judged with condemnation because of the atoning work of Christ, um, we will still need to give an account for our lives, even believers. We're not exempt from that. Um, that there will be a judgment, although it, it may be a different kind of judgment, there still will be a judgment for the life that we live, the things that we do and the things that we should do that we don't, sins of omission as well. And so it's important for Christians to also realize that um, judgment isn't just for these wicked non-believers, that um, God's good. And so it means that even if we sin as believers, it means that God's still going to hold us accountable for what we do and say. Um, so, I mean, I do want to make clear that I don't, th I don't mean to be misunderstood here. I don't mean to say that there is condemnation that awaits believers. Jesus has paid for that all. It's just that our moral choices that we, um, that we our decisions on in life have an actual judgment and there's consequences that follow. And so, yeah. Don't you think, too, that in this time when um, in our society that tolerance is it's nearly worshipped like a god and um, anything that appears intolerant to I don't know whatever measurement of, of thinking um, uh, is intolerated <laughs> yeah and uh, but in, in contrast to that mm. um, then we, we see these verses of scripture that you're pointing out and this aspect of God that you're pointing out. And there's a verse of scripture in, in Romans, the 11th chapter. It says, notice how God is both kind and severe. That word can be scary, but uh, it isn't actually. It, it, he is exact. And so even though society has changed and morphed and morals have slumped and whatever, God's values and righteousness and truth has never altered. God yeah, has wow. never changed. He's a rock. And all those verses that you started with are true about him. And I like how this verse of scripture, I'm just kind of lifting it a little bit out of context, but I like that statement. It says, notice. And I think the New King James says, behold or look how God is both and, and I think that in this society that we're in, in this culture that we're in, sometimes we'll just gravitate to the one side of, you know, just schmaltzy, you know, God just is yeah. like attaboy, it's okay, anything you want, I, yeah. I'm okay with. But actually, truth is still truth, and right is still right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so he is both. And then this last verse of scripture that you gave from First Peter, when we observe that, it changes the way we live. That's right. So if we lose this concept of, of, of God being just and a judge and truth being truth always, 
we start living sloppy. We lose the fear of God. And the fear of the Lord is clean. And if we don't have a fear of the Lord, then we start living dirty, talking dirty, acting dirty. Mm. But uh, the fear of the Lord, Mm. man, cleans us up. But what Mm. feeds the fear of the Lord are the the things that you're sharing. I mean, when I'm looking at these verses of Scripture, I'm just thinking, oh, my, it's so important to how we live. Yeah, if we don't look at it correctly... You can see salvation as just something that gets you out of hell or salvation is just something that gets you into heaven. But salvation is more than just about an eternal destination. It's also about becoming like Jesus. It's central to the Christian message to be like Christ. That's the point of sanctification in the life of a Christian is to, to be like God, to be like Christ. And if you just see the point of faith is just to get somewhere or go to heaven it's like you're missing the point of the christian message it's to be like jesus yeah. i mean it's it's so that we stand before god one day and that he looks at us and says well done good and faithful servant exactly not just well done person who tolerated everything anything and everything and just you know took advantage of the cross and took advantage of my grace oh, no. it's it's um it's a it's a serious thing it is it's it's more than just a destination it's about christ being like christ um, and in line with what you're saying here, one of the principles is God's righteous anger um, towards sin. Mm. Um, and there are more scriptures than we can count um, that, that do talk about this. And sometimes it's a little bit ugly and it's a little bit, um, uh, sounds a little bit negative to, mm. to focus on them. I just want to share a few of them because I think it's important for Christians to have a holistic view of God and if the scripture, if we, if we are Bible-believing Christians, it's important to let scripture speak. We come across verses that we don't like. It's important to look at those and <laughs> not just have a view of God based on one or two scriptures somewhere that you like and at the exclusion of others, but it's to have a holistic view. So um, that's really important. Uh, Romans 1.18 does say that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Mm. We can see God's got an issue with suppression of truth. Wow. We can see that his justice is built upon truth. His judgments are built upon truth. And so when someone in their unrighteousness suppresses truth, God judges that, calls it wrath or anger. Mm. Um, and it's revealed from heaven against people who, who live this out, who act in ungodly, unrighteous ways. Um, it does say of men here, but that's for you two women. You're not off the hook. That's not just for men. Um, generally speaking, men. Um, it also repeats that in Hebrews 10, verse 31, saying that this is, this is the Scripture verse in the New Testament talking about God here. It says, It is a, tre- a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A dreadful thing. It's like I thought we're Christians, we're to approach God boldly, and, and we can come confidently before God. Um, it's not to be confused or conflicting with that. It's just to say God is the creator of all things. He's set rules and established order in nature, in creation. And when you violate that, it's serious. And, you know, we, we kind of have this view of sin where we just think it affects us and only us. Sin actually affects everything. And it. It affects our friends and our neighbours and ultimately creation as a whole. Um, Sin permeates and destroys. And so God hates that so much that he's willing to do something about that. And it's because God is good that he judges and acts against sin and judges and acts against evil. And sometimes it's sinners and people that God loves that God judges because of sin. Um, And so it's, it's severe. But we can see that it is this thing where we, we don't just think about God or have a theology of God where um, he's just this floating, lovey-dovey thing in the air where, you know, you just don't fear and have respect for. Um, he sustains everything by the word of his power. And at any moment, if he wanted to, I don't think he wants to, but he could just snap, do whatever he wants. Um, 
because God is good and because he's righteous and just, that should give us some pause. We don't just go and do whatever you like. Um, now, that's not to instill fear into everybody and make you want to walk around on your toes the rest of your life, but um, it is to say we need to take God seriously, that he is a good judge um, and he will judge. So there is a lot the Scripture talks about on anger and God's wrath. Um, I don't want to dive too deeply into that. I wanted to then follow up with anger to say that although God is angry at sin, the Bible is pretty clear in many, many very clear in many cases um, and examples that God is slow to anger. This is a principle that's in God's judgment um, about his relationship to anger. It's not his first response. He doesn't just act brashly immediately. And this is a principle he's passed on to us as, as believers is to be quick to think, slow to anger, quick to forgive and to think through what we're doing before we just act and snap because that's actually based in God's character. That's how we get that from God is because that's, that's who God is. He's slow to anger. Psalm 103 verse 8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's similarly repeated in Exodus 34 verse 6 where it says the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Isaiah 30 verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you mm. and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Mm. So it might be easy if you're mistaken to walk away thinking that anger in and of itself is also a bad thing. We know Jesus taught that to be angry but don't sin. There's a way to be righteously angry and we can see that um, emulated by Christ when he approached the temple. Remember when the temple was being abused and you know he's flipping tables and going off and that's a good thing because the temple was where the presence of the Lord was and that's sacred and it made him angry and I think that's great and, and anger in and of itself is just it shouldn't be seen as this negative thing. I think sometimes we see anger as it's just bad, don't be angry, just be kind to everybody. Um, I do think that we're called to live at peace with as many people as possible. And I do think that we're called to be kind and loving. But it does not mean that there is never a context for righteous anger. Jesus showed that and God shows mm. that, especially when it's against evil mm. and sin. Um, That's so good. Mm. Um, on, the, on the point, too, of God being slow to anger. Mm. Uh, He's not reactive. He's slow to anger and full of mercy. Um, you know, I'm sure we all we all uh, can remember Enoch's son that he named Methuselah, yeah. and his name meaning when he's dead it shall be said. Yeah. And Methuselah didn't live 17 years. You know. <laughs> He's talking about the, the flood. So God wasn't looking to quickly send a flood. He was actually, he was he, he actually, uh, Methuselah lived longer than anybody. Yeah. Because he was a, a living timepiece. When his life ran out, the sands of his life ran through the hourglass of time, uh, the flood was going to come. And he lived long, long. Nearly a thousand years. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. It's um, what a patient God. Very patient. Very, very, very slow mm -hmm. to anger. Um, and that's why when you come across passages where God seems to act instantly, definitively, um, and there's no extra context that's given to explain why, or you can know because Scripture is so emphatic elsewhere about. God's patience and long-suffering nature mm. and his slowness to anger, you know that in those maybe one or two passages here or there, um, we know that something there we don't need to know. If we want to know the answer to it and God hasn't given it to us, we don't need to know the answer. I think you're saying something really important there, Mitchell, that because um, in the interpretation of Scripture, mm. it uh, if you're only reading that particular 
uh, scripture and that particular incident and developing a whole um, a whole belief system on that one yeah. and not taking into account because that one particular incident, like you said, yeah. may not give some of the reasons or some of these other verses, supporting verses that um, actually display the nature of God. Uh, it's important whenever we read the verses, the verses of Scripture that you said. Sometimes, oh, you come to them and you think, oh, that's harsh, that's that's difficult. Yeah. Rather than it forming what we believe about God, you have to take all the Scripture together. Yeah. These other verses that you're showing as well. I think that's really helpful, right there. I think a lot of cults get built upon maybe one or two verses here or there, don't you think? Some people just run away with one or two verses and make an entire systematic on that. And um, yeah, that's dangerous. It's, it's essentially making God in your own image, failing to see how God has revealed himself through the totality of his word mm. and just taking the parts that you like and making God the God that you want him to be Ooh. rather than letting God's word inform you as to who he is. I think that's a dangerous place to be. Lord, help us keep studying the word. Yeah. At all counts. God also judges us according to the light that he's given us. This mm -hmm. is something that brings me a lot of peace when I think about, for example, the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel? Um, Romans chapter 1 and 2 talk about God's general revelation revealed mm -hmm. to mankind, broadly speaking, that he's revealed himself through nature and through conscience. Paul says that the invisible attributes of God have been clearly made known through visible creation. We see design in, in the world, in nature. We see order. We see a purpose and function in God's creation, um, or the uniformity of nature, as it's called. And we also can, in some sense, know right from wrong. We can sense something when we, when we see something wrong, we think that's wrong, or that's, that's unjust and there's something that God's given us he's written his law on our hearts as humans this is another general evidence that all mankind have that points to God and shows that all mankind know God in at least some sense that doesn't mean that they have to believe in him it doesn't mean that they have to want to know him it doesn't mean that if someone says that they're an atheist that they're being dishonest it, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means that God has given sufficient evidence and light to all people, yes. whether you've heard of the gospel or not. And so the person who wants to say to God one day, I, I never got the gospel or I never heard about Jesus because of my you know, geographical location in, in history or where I was born or whatever, um, God will say you're without excuse. It wasn't sufficient revelation so that he could punish them. It's sufficient revelation so that they can pursue God. And if they seek God, they'll find him. Yes. And so the point of, of God's revelation isn't to give him some reason to be able to judge you, which some people might think. Mm -hmm. It's so that he can have a relationship with you. Oh, that's good. He pursues. If you seek God, you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. There's a part of God that has given himself to all people mm. at all times. And so I don't think that there's going to be a person who says, I, I have an excuse. Um, I wasn't either wanted by my creator mm. or I didn't have sufficient knowledge of him. Um, that we are judged according to the light that God mm. has actually given us. And this, is, this makes sense. We know the concept of those who have more privilege also have more responsibility. God will judge teachers to a higher degree than he'll judge just maybe someone who's ignorant or didn't live long enough to know or something like that, or a child, for example. Um, that's because the person who has a more knowledge of God mm -hmm. is expected to do more with that. Mm -hmm. So the higher, the greater the light, the greater responsibility. And the, to the degree of the responsibility, if you rebel against that, there's, I want to get the words right here, I guess there's a higher degree of punishment that is applicable to rebellion against a higher degree of, of light. I look at it, uh, think of Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, so close to Jesus, you know, he's eating and drinking with Jesus, seeing miracle after miracle. I mean, 
what a privilege. And um, obviously, as you know, Judas betrays Jesus. And I mean, the light and the revelation that he had, um, it makes sense when scripture says that it would be better for him to have never been born. Um, it's just like, wow, this is serious. You know, God's revelation is, is really important. So not everybody needs to have the special revelation of God, extra knowledge of the gospel, extra knowledge of God's miracles and things like that. Um, they're great. God's given us enough in his general revelation revealed in nature and conscience. So if you seek God, he will give more light. He will give more of himself and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. That is one of the ways that God judges um, according to light. Um, That's... And I also think that one of the major objections that people bring up against God is divine hiddenness. It's called the hiddenness or divine hiddenness problem. This is basically an objection to saying, God, you know, I couldn't find you. I looked for you. You were nowhere. You know, I, I prayed and believed for miracles and I even went to church and I went to all the Bible studies and did all the Christian things and I couldn't sense you and I couldn't feel you and... Um, you were hidden from me, essentially. I think this principle about God's judgment deals with that objection too because this shows that God reveals according, he judges according to the light that's been revealed. And so I think maybe, this is how I see this, but maybe one of the reasons why God does not give further revelation to some people is because it might accrue further responsibility and therefore further punishment. And I think because God loves these people, God knows who does and does not want him, who will, will not want him. And so I think God will be hidden to the degree at which you don't want him. And God will be clear and evident to the degree that you do want him. And if you seek him, you'll find him. So that principle, I think, is all through scripture. Wow. That's that is very interesting. That would um, that would explain the sequence of the spiral downward that Romans the first chapter describes when when in nature people can see God and yet then they don't worship God as God even if they don't know that God is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ that there you know there's a trinity they don't know all of that but just the maker of these things that we see they begin to worship creation and then when that happens you know then then things begin spiral. to spiral down because they like you were just describing right now instead of responding to that revelation in looking for the creator of those things, they begin to worship those things yeah. and uh, rebel or they fight against that revelation or step uh, yeah. into the dark from that light that was given. And I think there's a truth there. Mm -hmm. You can see God in creation and nature and, and mm -hmm. God says that he reveals himself in creation yeah. and nature. I think, but they don't go that next step and realize that it's revealing the creator, uh, the creator. And mm -hmm. Some people think that, yeah, there's there's all sorts of weird and wacky religions that sort of make nature God or mm -hmm. kind of pantheistic theology where trees and the ground is is all God. And, yeah, and it's, it can get like it, the point of God revealing Himself through nature is that nobody will find themselves in a place ever. Yeah, where God will be completely devoid completely gone he's he's always there yes anytime you need god he's he's always there mm -hmm. and so that's one of the reasons i think um one last principle and then we'll move on very quickly for time's sake um god judges because he loves some people think that judgment is negative and we've, we've looked at that the reason why god does judge in the first place is because he loves mm. Um, remembering that this is God's world as we talked about these are his rules there are consequences that follow if we break those and the reason he brings us these laws is ultimately for our benefit it's for the benefit of his creation um, it honours him when we obey him but it also 
causes others to flourish, ourselves to flourish. God's laws aren't just like a commanding officer just trying to be obeyed for the point of it, but it's also for the good of those who God's created. It's like, this is for our good as well. Um, That judgment ultimately for a Christian, we have to understand this, and this is so important, that God's judgment culminates in the person of Jesus. This is how we can make sense of you have mercy on one side and you have justice on the other. If it wasn't for the person of Jesus Christ, it would not be possible for God's love to apply to sinners who are deserving of God's judgment, of his just judgment. If all we got was God's judgment or his justice, um, then nobody would be saved because all of us have fallen short. Scripture makes clear we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We're all with fault. Um, And the standard for heaven or for the presence of God is perfection. I'm not there. And so the Christian message is that Jesus steps in and says, I'll take the justice of God for you and you and all of us so that we can get the mercy of God in that place instead. It's just like, I think about other religions and I think about mercy and I think about justice sometimes and I just think, I don't see how they can make sense of any of this. Um, I won't go into any like religions, but I know that there's some that just teach that God is just both and it's just whatever. Some days he's, he's angry and he'll smash you. Some days he's really merciful and he'll just forgive you. Um, the reason why God doesn't just come along and just forgive you willy-nilly is because he's good. It's because he actually cares about right and wrong. Uh, and he's that good that he will judge sin. But the reason that he ultimately judges, and we know, all know John 3.16, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have ever, everlasting life. And we know that the reason Jesus came into the world was to die, also to reveal God as Father many reasons he came but one of the main ones was to die for us so that we could experience the love and mercy of God if Jesus if the death of Christ was the culmination of God's justice in history then we can say that the greatest act of judgment was actually also the greatest act of love and that was displayed for all of us for all people uh, because God loves all people um, and so it's really a very say, central. Say that again. That's really good. I don't know if I'll be able say to say that again. <laughs> what did my notes say? Um, the greatest act of judgment, if it culminates in the person and the work of Christ, turns out to be also the greatest act of love because Jesus took the judgment of God for us and in doing so, in accordance with John 3.16, as mentioned, God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the greatest act of judgment ends up being the greatest act of love and mercy that the world's ever seen. It's because of Jesus. That's why the Christian message is so powerful, is because we have an answer to the mystery between mercy and justice, and it culminates in the person and the work of Jesus. So the Christian needs to understand how important that is to have yeah. Jesus at the centre. Yeah, um, definitely. Colossians 1.19.20 says that, "...for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell." And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see that Jesus, he ultimately bears that judgment for us so that he can make peace with all things. Yeah. Super cool. Um, God exercises his mercy not at the expense of his justice, but through it. Sometimes we think that they have to be at odds. They're not at odds. He exercises his mercy to us through his justice, not at the expense of it. And that's in the person of Christ. Again, Christocentric. It's about Jesus. Yeah. Um, Some practical takeaways, I think, from this from understanding a bit more about God's judgment and his goodness and justice, um, this should spur us on to evangelize, to share Jesus with people. You 
think about judgment and those who are in sin and don't know Christ, um, it should urge us on to urgently share the gospel with people. Mm-hmm. Um, to face God on judgment day without Christ would be a horrific thing. Um, and we haven't talked about that, the topic of hell. That's actually something that we're going to share next time we're together because I think that that topic deserves a whole night for itself. I didn't want to just throw that in here and try to do justice to it. Yeah. Um, but that's you know, a, that I, I, like, I like what you're saying. It, it should urge us on towards evangelism and through praying for people with compassion who don't know the Lord. Um, I've been remembering uh, more and more um, this wonderful, really it was a move of the Holy Spirit in pouring out this wonderful uh, spirit of supplication uh, and prayer on our youth group. And uh, we, we would find ourselves completely uninstructed. <laughs> we didn't know. Nobody was telling us to do it. Nobody was urging us to do it or coaching us to do it. We just had this um, awareness that Jesus was coming soon and that if people died without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, mm. that they would go into eternity yeah. without God. Yeah. And that was unthinkable for us. And the, the knowledge of that, of, of what of these truths that, whoa, mm. uh, they have to accept the judgment that came on Jesus or else they'll, they'll be on their own. Yeah. And uh, it urged us in prayer, urgent prayer, all night prayer, prayer with weeping. So that it wasn't just, um, you know, it wasn't just thinking, well, we wish people would come to our church, you know, that there'd be more people in our church or da, da, da. No, it was this urgency. You need to know Jesus. You need to come to know Jesus and we saw mighty salvations wow. through that kind of urgent prayer that you're describing here. Wow. It is an urgency, yeah. Yeah. And you're not on your own. It's not like you're just trying to save people. It's no. God loves these people more than we ever will love these people. God has the deepest sense and purpose for reconciliation in the big picture. And... It just means that we have a responsibility and we should share Christ yes. with our friends, with our neighbors, um, with our family members that might not know Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, um, you don't have to make a, a preaching point out of it, but just a simple sharing about Jesus in, in whichever way that you can. Um, do it. Do it. Just do it. Mm. It's worth it. Um, there's so many cool stories out there of people that just, I mean, I've got some stories we don't have time to share really, but just sharing with someone about Jesus and then they just, their response is just like, I really needed that. Or you see their life just change, their circumstances just completely change. It's so good. It's worth it. It's worth the potential awkwardness if they don't receive it well. They're like, I don't believe in your God. And it's like, all right, well, it's worth it because there are people that are just desperate for Jesus. There are It might seem like there's not many here, but there are people that are desperate for Jesus. They are. um, God's calling us to reach out to people for him. Um, I think I'll finish on just saying a couple points. This should show us the severity of God's judgment against evil and also his holy good nature. Um... As long as like along with how destructive that sin ultimately really is, how it destroys lives, it destroys us. It's um, it's not of God. Uh, it shows God's character and His goodness against it. Should be should lead us to worship, actually, to want to spend time in His presence. He's that good, um, and He's got good plans for us. And so sin is a detour, and it doesn't end in the direction where God wants you to go doesn't even end in the direction where you want to go Um, so in light of judgment and looking at this scripture of biblical principles and purposes behind judgment um, it does show us the severity of sin but also God's character towards us in light of that he's good and um, 
highlights the importance of personal sanctification now yeah. in the life of us Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, not playing with sin, yeah. not dabbling with sin. Um, it's destructive. It, it ruins people. It um, dishonors God um, and ultimately it corrupts his creation. And, yeah. yeah, We're called to be um, stewards with what we have. And ultimately it emphasizes the central hope in Christ for our eternal reconciliation with God and all that is right and good. So some practical takeaways there. Um, some extra resources if anybody is interested in reading up further on anything that's been shared tonight. Um, uh, shout out to William Lane Craig uh, from reasonablefaith.org. That's one place where you can go and they have a bunch of resources available for that for any questions you might have um, about God or his judgments um, or any particular passage or any particular judgment of God. You can go into some of that and he Repeat helps with that. 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 So reasonablefaith.org, for anyone who's writing it down, um, that's one of the good places to go to. Michael Heiser is also another great Old Testament scholar. He deals with some of the um, Tough. tricky Old Testament judgments, um, gives some good context and um, helps us understand that too. Um, along with Paul Copan, um, wrote a book called um, Is God a Moral Monster? <laughs> with a question mark, you know. Um, He's basically addressing some of those, you know, things that people think that God commands genocide and things like that in the Old Testament, slavery, things like this. And he deals with, with all of that. Um, gotquestions.org. You can Google gotquestions.org. They've got a bunch of resources answering some of these questions if you still have any. Um, and the good old Bible Project on YouTube. They make all these animated videos. We think we've even played a few of them. Um, easy to understand, also theologically deep, yeah, and, um, and they're just, they're awesome. They're so the Bible project, Very good. Um, something you can introduce to your children or to your friends as well, it's really, really cool. Um, and I will just say that um, for somebody who still has questions about God or, um, or judgment, and if there's mystery left over or something you still haven't specifically answered, I, I would just want to emphasize um, to keep reading scripture, look at the context of what's being shared, look at the author of that particular book or letter, the audience, um, look at the themes, do a word study. If you get stuck on something, don't let that be the thing that prevents you spending time with God. Yes. Um, there is, yeah. There are good answers out there and... Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a thing to get stuck up on. That's um, really important. And ultimately, I think if you find yourself in a place where you just don't know what to do uh, with something in Scripture about God, um, you can trust what the Bible's clear on, as we mentioned earlier. Go with what the Bible's been explicitly clear on. Um, God is good. He's fair. He's just. He's holy. But He's rich in mercy yes. and abounding in steadfast love. You can desires. go with Jesus. You can go with Jesus. <laughs> um, you will never lose. So I think for time, we're looking um, pretty close to finishing. Right. So we, um, we might close with prayer yeah. and um, go from there. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank, thank you, you for your word thank and you we can know you through your word. And thank you for your truths about judgment, God, that as tricky as some of these might be, Lord, your word has not left us in the dark, Lord, that you've given us deep truths to know about you, to know what you're like, to know how you judge, why you judge, and ultimately, God, that we can trust you, that we can come to you with boldness and hope, knowing, God, that you are the good judge of all yes. the earth, Lord, and you yes. do what's right, and Lord, if we have any concerns or questions, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you care about our mental state, you care about our thoughts, you care about our feelings, and Lord, um, you care about our ultimate well-being. You desire reconciliation and relationship with us, God, and um, I thank you that you will not let a single question or concern stop us, Lord, from having a close relationship with you, and I just pray for everybody who's listening tonight, Lord, 
you would minister to people's hearts and people's souls right now, God, and you would just fill them with your hope, with your love and your joy and your peace, Lord, and remind people that, God, if you are for them, then who can be against them, God? That you are the creator of all things and nothing can stop the love that you have for them. And Lord, I just lift up the rest of this evening to you. Um, give us a safe drive home and um, bless us until we meet together next time to talk on eternal judgment, Lord. We thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au. 